This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Today's episode, we have Australia's number one male 70.3 triathlete at the moment, uh, especially with his performances of late, including fifth at the professional triathlete organization Collins Cup last year ninth at the world title race in St. George, but overall, uh, someone that has had an incredibly successful uh, Ironman 70.3 career, winning 15 professional races, well now 16 races after his Geelong 70.3 win on Sunday, which was his third win at Geelong. Uh, This guest is Sam Appleton, our Aussie uh, gun triathlete. He's also had multiple top 10 finishes at the world's uh, 70.3, as high as fourth. Uh, We're so grateful he joined us on the podcast, uh, especially after his big win on Sunday and we had a great chat to him really diving into the behind the scenes of his training program and structure and how he plans to improve himself and what he uh, focuses on specifically in a training week as well as many more great insights into Sam as a professional athlete. And I think dad, the listeners are going to get a lot out of getting to hear what uh, Sam Appleton's pro training schedule looks like. Yeah, and it's really great that uh, you know so many of the pros are really willing and generous. Um, and as he said, uh, you know, as long as he's uh, able to help be kind to people every day. Um, that, that's one of his goals, and and he's definitely done that with his podcast. He's really open, um, and and not hiding anything that he does in training. Um, and for the listeners, this is this is unbelievably good information, and and even an insight into where he's you know the success he's had and how he's got that success, and changing coaches and and changing a little bit of focus about the way he goes about some of his sessions, and and now. The change in direction, which might be from not so much seventy point three to uh, more towards Ironman. So you know, watch this space to see how successful he can be if he keeps the same philosophy that he's had. You know, earning those. You know, what an incredible uh, Palmares to have sixteen. 70.3 victories that you know not a lot of people can say they've had more than one or two um so he's doing a lot of things well and uh i can't wait to see how he goes um as an ironman uh triathlete um with his plan to do uh, possibly cans and then go to kona so really looking forward to seeing how he progresses and uh getting him back on the program which would be a lot of fun because he really does give a lot of uh really good tips for the for the age grouper Without further ado, here is the episode with Sam Appleton. Sam Appleton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. The first question that we love to ask an athlete like you is, what does the sport of triathlon mean to you? It's something that's given me uh, my my whole career, my life, and it's almost um, what I like. I don't like to kind of attach an identity to myself. It kind of is my identity, really, um, triathlon and things. So it's... Um, yeah, I mean, it's super important. It's it's my way of life. It's what I love doing. It's um, pretty much, you know, everything in my life encompasses triathlon, I guess. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I would I would say that it's uh, pretty important to me in that in that respect. We must uh, congratulate you. It's really great that you've been uh, available to speak to us, coming off your most recent seventy point three win at the uh, at the Geelong race uh, over the weekend. So, congratulations, and uh, you must be pretty pumped about that victory yeah thanks very much yeah i mean uh starting the season off with a win in geelong is is great i love that race down there i've i've, I've won it three times now and it's uh i love starting my season there and um yeah i mean to win 
the race and start 2022 on such a high note is a huge confidence booster going forward because um, I changed coaches at the end of last year. I'm now coached by um, Tim Reed, and um, it kind of validates what we've been doing um, in training. And, uh, yeah, we can use that kind of momentum going forward into the into the rest of the training and the rest of the year. So, um, yeah, super, super pumped. For those who uh, didn't see the results, um, take us through um, how the race panned out for you. And I know the listeners out there, um, you know, a lot of the age groupers are really always intrigued by how the pros um, see how their race panned out and uh, and what you did well and what you would like to improve on. Just, just give us a brief run through of um, the swim, the bike and the run. So I think we, we kind of race pretty well together. We've got a similar kind of race dynamic and race tactic and, uh, we didn't even really need to say uh, say anything to each other. We knew what we needed to do, and that was to swim swim fast, bike up fast, and uh, yeah, try and close it out with a run. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we did because we we uh, we don't want to get off with it. Well, I don't want to get off with a group of five, six, seven guys and leave it up to a running race. I'd prefer to kind of stretch it out, um, play to my strengths, which is the swim and bike. And, um, and fortunately I had good running legs on the day. So, so yeah, Josh and I were able to swim and bike and create a little gap to the, uh, to the rest of the guys chasing. And then, yeah, like I said, I had good running legs and I was able to close it out with, with a good run, which is, um, last year in 2021, the run kind of let me down a little bit. Um, so that's something we've been working on over this, over this off season. So to start 2022 with a, with a strong result and feel feel really good in the run is a um, super positive for me and yeah I'm going to be carrying that momentum leading forward into the uh, into the rest of the year. It was really good to see and I know in 2020 you were in a similar position with Josh. You got off the bike together and he just got you in the run and you've turned that around. That must have been really satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I feel like the last couple of years my run has been a little bit hit or miss, um, mostly misses unfortunately and um it's something that i've i've vowed to um to make changes to and to improve because um a lot of races are coming down to the run leg you can't you can't afford to have a weakness in any of the three disciplines you have to be world class at the swim the bike and the run and um that was kind of the the missing piece for me last year um i feel like my swim and bike were right there and uh yeah, this year it's all about the run and getting that run up to scratch. So, uh, yeah, really, really happy. What did you actually change specifically in the off-season to uh, improve that run? Because we talk about a lot in this podcast, you know, trying to improve a weakness, but it means maybe potentially some other areas you don't work on as much. So, yeah, what did you change with with your new coach in Reedy? So, um, I think we didn't change too much. We didn't want to drastically overhaul my training. We knew that... I was on to something good and I was training well. We just needed to make some, some refinements and um, a couple of key things that we've, we've kind of implemented um, over the last couple of months is some bigger volume running weeks, um, but also giving the chance to absorb that running. So we've kind of backed off the swimming and biking for perhaps a week and loaded the running up to maybe 80 kilometers of running per week, um, which is, quite a bit more than what I used to do. I would say I probably average somewhere between 40 to 50 kilometers. So, you know, it's quite a significant increase, um, but it's important to also absorb that running. And um, so, yeah, we've kind of had a couple of section, uh, a couple of periods there where we back off the, the swim and the bike volume and focus on that run for, for, yeah, like I said, a week or so. And then 
you know, the following week, it might be a bit of an easier run week and bring that swim bike um, back up. So, yeah, that was one one aspect that we changed. And another thing that we've changed as well is kind of shifted away from that really, really slow running. Um, for me, when I run quite slow at that kind of five-minute kilometre pace, um, I've got quite bad biomechanics and um, I don't actually move very well when I'm running mm-hmm. that slow. So we've kind of shifted away from that and um, still making sure we're um, keeping in those heart rate zones. But some of my kind of endurance runs are now more focused on kind of four to four fifteen kilometer pace um, instead of that really slow time on your feet running. And I think having that bit of a quicker pace but still keeping it in that endurance zone has allowed me to kind of open up and really activate and recruit all those muscles that – you use when you're running fast um, because when you run slow, you can kind of get a little bit lazy and, and, you know, parts of your body turn off and you're just kind of getting through and going through the motion. So yeah, we've kind of moved away and transitioned away from that really slow running um, into something a little bit more focused um, in terms of, yeah, pace and things like that. That's a great answer. And I'm, I'm sure the listeners would actually love to hear that because we're a big believer in getting a really good uh, endurance base into you so that you can actually run fast when it counts. And And you've almost done uh, an eight or nine-year endurance base, really, um, and and now you're you're turning your endurance runs into a little bit quicker, um, which, you know, that is a, one way of looking at it. If you if you really wanted to um, dissect it, we, we wouldn't be pushing our – uh, age group is to just to run their endurance run fast they would need to have the skeletal structure that you've built up over a long period of running to enable you to do these endurance runs a lot fast would you agree with that yeah absolutely and i mean i'm not sitting here and saying oh you know people are training too slow or things like that i think there is definitely a time and a place for those and i still have those where i just go out and i don't even worry about pace or anything i'm just mm-hmm. I'm just doing time. But, um, yeah, there's, there has been a little bit more of a focus on keeping within kind of heart rate zones. And just because it's an endurance run doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy run, if that makes sense. Um, you know, endurance can be quite a broad um, range of um, heart rate between anywhere from 120 to, you know, 145 for me. So, yeah, I've shifted perhaps away from that kind of really slow endurance running to, yeah, something a little bit more focused. I'd be very interested to know what the heart rate uh, difference is between 4 to 4.15 pace for you and 5-minute pace. Does it vary that much? It kind of depends how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some days 4 to 4.15 feels great and you feel, you know, you get that runner's high and you're just kind of in that flow state. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like you could run that pace all day. Mm-hmm. Other times it requires a little bit more effort. Um, and also because I train most of the year in Boulder, my um, which is at altitude, um, my heart rate generally skews a little bit higher as well. But, yeah, depending on kind of what what the, the outcome of the session is, I might run, um, you know, anywhere from around 140 to 145 heart rate in that kind of 4 to 415 kilometer pace so i i do have quite a high heart rate like you know when i've trained with someone like reedy in the past who has a really low heart rate you know we'd compare heart rates and there could be a huge 20 to 30 beat difference you know so um yeah it's very individual but i feel like that's the importance of having 
a coach that really can can dial in and 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 knows you as an athlete and that's something that Reedy has with me you know he really knows me as an athlete he knows me as a person he knows exactly kind of the stimulus that I respond to so um yeah that's unreal. We, we love looking at all data here. We're really obsessed with it, to be honest. Um, so just to clarify, I mean, if you're running five-minute K pace, your heart rate's going to be around the 120 mark, you know, quite significantly lower, up to 20 beats, and then obviously depending on the conditions, where you are and how you're feeling. But is that right? Yeah, yeah, probably. And I would say in the past, I've kind of just been – I've never really taken it – you know, I've used heart rate before, but I've never kind of based my whole program around it. And um, it's kind of just been a data point that I've kind of looked at after training and been like, oh, you know, that's interesting. But now I've really started to incorporate heart rate and heart rate zones more in my training, kind of even more so than than pace and power on the bike even. It's, um, yeah, heart rate zones has become kind of a staple for me. What about, uh, and we're jumping uh, backwards and forwards a bit here, but when we're specifically talking about, you know, using your pace and using your power on the bike and, and using heart rate, using average speed, and we know that, you know, taking your lactate levels is is something that is also really valuable whilst you're training. And obviously, you can't do that whilst you're racing. But have you had a look at that at all in your training program? Not lactic, no. I know that it's been kind of it's kind of coming um, really popular now. I noticed um, a lot of athletes doing it. Well, the athletes I'm following on social media, it seems <laughs> yeah. like everyone's everyone's doing it these days. And um, I mean, I'm sure it has its has its merits and things, but it's not something that I've used um, in my training. And you know, that's not to say I'm not ruling it out. Um, perhaps you know, lactate tests and things are are really good to establish you know data points and things like that. But it's not something that I've done yet. So we want to touch on uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, kind of your home and, and training ground uh, in a second. But uh, just before that, I mean, you live there. So what makes you come back to Australia uh, for Geelong? I mean, you love racing here. You said you've won it three times. Um, yeah, what makes you make, make that trip over? Um, yeah, like I said, I love the race. And it's important to me to keep racing in Australia. It's it's my home. Um, you know, I've been in Boulder now for for a long time, but... Australia is always my home and I love racing here and it's, um, yeah, it's important to me to race and maintain a presence here um, in Australia. And I've got, I don't want to kind of, I didn't want to be one of those athletes that kind of leaves Australia and never comes back, you know, does his career kind of overseas. It's, um, it's something that I've always, um, always maintained in my mind. And, um, you know, I realize I've got family, friends, sponsors and things here in Australia that I, um, that I like to race for as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a no brainer for me. It does obviously make, you know, a long trip. I came all the way from the mm. U S just for Geelong, but yeah, that's how important it is to me. And to have a good race kind of makes the whole trip worthwhile. It's uh, I was actually thinking that before the race, like, this is a long, a long way to come to, uh, you know, to uh, have a bad race. So yeah, uh, yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's fantastic to hear. And I'm sure, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, Australians would love love to hear that you still uh, call Australia home, and the successes you've had as an athlete over the over the journey. You, you know, you're right up there with the best with the best athletes. Um, is there any other events that take your fancy and and in Australia that you would look to try and do, or is it just sort of getting something really early in the season that's in the middle of a cooler period where you are in Boulder, um, and then getting back there and uh, and just jumping back into the uh, the local races is that is that sort of the plan that you look at each year? 
Yeah, so it is. It is kind of nice to to leave Boulder. It's it's pretty cold there at the moment. I think it was <laughs> minus nineteen degrees, uh, which wow. is a freak day. That's not a uh, that's yeah. not mm. a normal Boulder winter. So don't, don't think that that's what I'm living in all the time <laughs> yeah. uh, through yeah. the winter. But yeah, it is nice to leave for a little bit and come to summer here and kind of breaks it up a little bit. Um, but in terms of racing again, I'm going to head back next week do a couple of races in the US because that. US season is kicking off. Um, you know, I feel like that's getting earlier and earlier every year. It used to be used to be the first race Oceanside in April, but now I think there's, um, you know, some races even before that now. So, yeah, I'm going to head back, do a couple of US races, and then I've also got my eye on doing Ironman Cairns in, uh, in June. So um, that's not – it's not a um, set in stone yet. It's just penciled in. Um, but that's kind of where I feel like I would uh, – I'd like to go and because uh, I want to do Kona this year. I want to try and qualify for Kona and I think Ironman Cairns is a good race for me. I've watched it play out the last few years and I think I've done the 70.3 there. It's a great race, a great course, and I think something that can really suit me. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, in my mind a little bit there. I've been kind of mulling it over a little bit with Tim and uh, having a discussion about that, but I think that's kind of where we're leaning to. That, that's great. That's very interesting. And look, Jordan and I both commented that you were really a specific triathlete who has really honed in your craft as a 70.3. And for us to hear you say you, you want to go to Kona, that's really interesting. And and is that something you've specifically just focused on? Look, I'm really good at 70.3. Let's, let's concentrate on the stuff that I do well at and you've steered away from Ironman or is there any reason why you've, you've mainly not done a lot of Ironmans over the journey? Yeah, I think I was good at 70.3s. And I think with 70.3s, you can race at a high level. You can do eight, nine, 10 70.3s a year at a really high level. And um, I was also quite young when I first got into 70.3s. Like I'm 31 now and I didn't want to rush into Ironman because in my opinion, doing Ironman and focusing on Ironman definitely detracts from your 70.3 performance. And I was always focused on well, for the last kind of, you know, five, six, seven years doing well at 70.3s and the 70.3 World Championships, that was always my biggest goal every year. And um, to me, it just made sense to kind of stay in that 70.3 wheelhouse because I didn't want to go into Ironman too soon. I didn't want to um, sacrifice anything in 70.3s because um, racing well at the World Championships was always my kind of a goal every year. But now that I'm 31 and I think it's time to kind of branch out into something new, it's, I, I, I think it was always going to be Kona. It was just a matter of when. It was. I was never doing 70.3s thinking, oh, I'm never going to do Ironman and Kona. It was kind of just biding our time almost. And um, I didn't want to be one of those guys that jumped in too early and um, and kind of lost that 70.3 speed. I always used thought of that as um, kind of a big asset of mine and something that I wanted to keep honing in on. So, um, but yeah, as I said, now I'm 31. It kind of feels like the right time to uh, to do Ironman and uh, and yeah, maybe give Kona a crack. That's that's unbelievable. It's uh, it, it would would that change your as you said just earlier? Your focus most years has been to do well at the 70.3 World Championships. So knowing that you could possibly be doing two Ironmans, one in June and one in October um, with the 70.3 in September. Is that is that sort of what the plan is still? Yeah, I think so. Um, so 70.3 Worlds this year is actually after 
Kona. It's at the end of October. So we've got Kona at the yes, sorry, what yep. is it? October seventh yep. or eighth, and then a couple of weeks later, seventy point three worlds. So Ooh. it's going to make it very difficult to do both, I would say. Um, and if I qualify for Kona and I go to Kona, everything will be focused on that, and then. I would probably make the decision after after Kona whether to race seventy point three worlds or not because I did I did get my qualification slot for seventy point three worlds over the weekend at Geelong so yes, it's nice yeah. to kind of tie that up yeah. and um, and have that kind of as a back a, a backup but um, yeah I think that's going to be something I'm going to have to um, play by year a little bit and uh, and see where I'm at um, if I get to Kona and um, yeah make the decision after that. Do you know of any of the other pros that are thinking of doing both as well? Have you heard any? word no one that i've spoken to i mean i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are um but i just think the level of competition these days is so high that not many people have really good success at both ironman and 70.3 i think five or six years ago you could get away with doing both because it was kind of a similar skill set but now 70.3 is really carved out its own kind of um Mm. niche and uh you know, it's really, really hard to focus on both. You can't, you can't just roll through to a seventy point three with Ironman training like perhaps you could five or six years ago. It's uh, it requires specific training, a specific build for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's going to be too many people having great success at both, but I'm sure there's going to be people that are going to try. Just on that topic, and that's intriguing uh, to both Jordan and I. Is- You've been doing specific 70.3 training for swim, bike, and run. Let's just look at, for example, the bike. What things would you change differently now that you're considering, you know, racing the bike really hard for four hours as compared to two? What, what things would you do different in your training? I mean, the obvious one is probably more volume. Um, the bike is probably um, – the thing that you would need to train the most for for a, for an Ironman, like it might it might surprise some viewers, but I don't really ride that often over three hours for my seventy point three training. Um, you know, I think some people get obsessed with you know having to do these four or five hour rides. Um, I barely ride over three hours um, in training, um, but moving into Ironman you're not going to be able to get away with three hour rides. You're going to have to bump that up um, to the four to the five hours for sure. So, so yeah, volume. And I think as well, dialing back the power a little bit and focusing more on those really long sustained kind of time trial intervals in, in training. So, um, you know, for example, a ride that I would do training for 70.3s, I might do, you know, go out and do three hours with four by 15 minutes and that's kind of my 70.3 workout, whereas, you know, that might change to four by 30 or four by 40 minutes. Um, but, you know, you're not going to be holding that same power that you would in that 15 minutes training for a 70.3. So, yeah, a couple of little differences there. But I am sure that the 70.3 workouts are still going to be there because you do still want to tap into that that top end stuff because Ironman is just getting harder and harder and faster and faster. And I think having that kind of higher power at my disposal will be a big um, a big benefit as well, even in Ironman racing. For the listener who might be a two-and-a-half-hour 70.3 bike rider or, or a three-hour 70.3 bike rider and maybe a six-hour Ironman, the endurance volume you're doing is specific to the time you are in the, the event. So don't think that, you know, if you are a three-hour 70.3 bike rider, you, you can get away with doing, you know, 
two and a half to three hours, you, you need to be doing over the time. That's that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? You know, you're a two hour bike rider for seventy point three, and your endurance ride is yeah is equivalent to what yep. time over you're going to spend on yeah. The- Yep. So I rode two hours, two minutes at, um, at Geelong on the weekend. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody how to train. This is just kind of how, uh, how I'm training. So yep. don't, uh, don't message me when your next race goes, goes <laughs> bad because you weren't doing enough training. <laughs> it's um, the, co- it's the coaching, yeah. Jared, that has to just make sure, but the listeners understand it. Don't, <laughs> don't just follow the pro just because that's what they've said they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, have exactly. the perspective. And I've, I've, I've never been, I've never been a guy that responds to really, really big volume. I've never, you know, I don't, I don't respond well to big 30, 35 hour weeks. It doesn't, it just makes me tired and I lose that, that spark that I have. I'm, I'm kind of more of an athlete that thrives on the more specific, shorter stuff, recovering from that and then going again. Um, so I'm not a huge volume guy. Like my, my weeks are around 20 hours, give or take an hour or two here and there. So, um, I mean, to some people, that's quite low. Um, so, yeah, just keep that in mind as well. Yeah, and also um, the the fact that, you know, doing 30 to 35 hours can actually make you worse. It, it doesn't necessarily make you better. If you can do some some more quality in the time you've got available, um, and for those listening out there, you know, it's not all about volume. Um, it's about how you are doing your program and what, what specific things are you trying to achieve, you know, in terms of weaknesses and strengths. And that's something that you've obviously done a bit of work on. For example, uh, you're now working on your running and you've already told us that, you know, doing something different has enabled you to to actually, you know, knock your time down from 115s, 114s, 116s to, to hopefully get into that 111, 112 uh, mark where you can be really competitive with with Gustav and, and the guys who are running that pace. And that means you're going to move on the podium from, from you know, being fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, where you've come in the previous world championship events. Um, and that must be something that you're, you know, be excited about knowing that, that this is now a game changer for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at, like, it's all kind of right there, you know, it's not the, the leap isn't massive um for me and um you know i think i ran 328 kilometer pace at at geelong on the weekend and um you know perhaps i could have found another 30 seconds um if i you know was running shoulder to shoulder with someone um but yeah to bring that down to a 111 it only i only need to find four seconds a kilometer you know i need to bring that down to that 323 324 and that's a 111 it doesn't take these monumental changes um you know to knock a minute or two off off um off the runtime so yeah i mean i feel like i'm in a really good place as well because coming into geelong um while i did train hard for geelong and i really wanted to do well it's also in february as well the big races for me are falling in that back half of the year so um i wouldn't say that i came in in 100 tip-top fitness because you know, I'm, I want to save that for um, for the middle of the year. So, yeah, it is very encouraging that we've still found improvements, but we've still, um, you know, got time to find even more improvements. Yeah, to find that improvement at the start of the season, like you said, is, is phenomenal. Um, mentally, such a good start. On that note, mm-hmm. with, uh, with your coach, how, how far in advance are you planning out your training blocks? I mean, are you looking all the way to the goal of October right now and planning out, obviously, the races you want to hit and the types of training you're going to do? Or do you just do the next block at a time? How, how do you guys work that out? Um, so, generally, 
in kind of the training process, a rough um, kind of, you know, dates of the races. And, um, and Tim and I have a chat about, you know, we want to hit big run weeks here and here and here. But in, in terms of what's actually in the program, um, there's not any kind of training ahead of, say, we usually plan like a week in a week ahead. So I've got my training for kind of through all of next week as well, but I don't have training, you know, scheduled in there for the next couple of months, but we've definitely spoken about what we need to do. And um, yeah, kind of the, the sessions that we need to be hitting and the volume. So we've had those discussions. It's just not kind of inked in on paper at the moment. Which especially, I mean, things change so much depending on how you're feeling. So you, you need to adjust it anyway. But you did say that uh, a normal week is around about 20 hours. Could you break down what that normal week entails? You know, how many uh, hours in each discipline um, and you know how many hard sessions, how many easier sessions or endurance? Yeah. Um, so I, I usually swim. I swim most days, actually. I, I really like swimming a lot because I feel like it, it, it's good to maintain feel of the water. I'm not really one of those guys that goes and bashes out 5K sessions. I kind of prefer to swim less but more frequently, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually swim. I try and hit 20K a week, uh, maybe a little bit more leading into something like a world champs where I really know my swim needs to be kind of in tip-top shape. Um, but, yeah, I usually swim five or six days a week. And uh, riding... Time-wise, probably anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12 hours um, on a normal week. Obviously, that's going to fluctuate. Like, I might have a bike-focused week where I do more. I might do, you know, I might do 500K in a week or something. Um, But, yeah, I would say it probably averages out to that 10 to 12 hours. Um, Usually, probably three key sessions in there, Um, you know, usually two shorter ones during the week and then a longer session on the weekend. Um, and then running, like I said, anywhere from that kind of 40 to 50 K a week, all the way up to 80. And then I think I've got a couple of 90 K plus run weeks coming at me for this, uh, for this Ironman block. Um, so that's, yeah, kind of, uh, alludes to my, what I was saying before in the previous question, Tim and I've already spoken about, you know, we're Mm going to have to hit some of these big, big run weeks. And, um, I would say I've probably done two to three key run sessions a week. Um, But by key run session, that doesn't always mean it's really, really hard. You know, a key run session might be 90 minute long run, but I'm trying to average four to four ten pace. So, you know, it's still solid, but it's not like just because I say key run session, it doesn't mean I'm going to the track and doing Mm -hmm. 10 by 1K at three minutes. You know what I mean? So, and I think that that kind of breaks down to about 20 hours a week with, uh, you know, five hours swimming, five hours running and 10 to 12 hours of riding, I would say. And then I throw in some gym here and there and, uh, yeah, two or three times a week gym, just keeping everything engaged and turned on and kind of that in, uh, injury prevention stuff as well. So I know that that kind of adds up to a little bit more than 20 hours a week, yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's kind of just off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. A kind of rough training week, I would say. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that's such a great insight and thanks for sharing that. You know, every listener will just hang on every word of you know exactly what a pro week looks like uh, because as mm-hmm. we were talking about before, you know, you, you just want, want to try and copy it or emulate it or uh, whatever. So, uh, thinking about where you're actually training, you're living in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, how long have you lived there now? I went there in 2015 um, with one of my buddies, Tim Burkle, actually. We went there and, um, and I met my now wife, uh, 
who's from Boulder, uh, well, from the US. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess after that, it was all kind of all over for me. So, yeah, about six or seven years I've been there now. Uh, it goes, yeah. Yeah, it just time just goes so quick, really, when you think of it like that. Uh, but yeah, Boulder's a great spot. The training is great, and it's easy for me to go about my job, and um, it's easy for me to get out the door and do and do what I need to do in training. So I love it there. So for those who are not across it, Boulder's uh, a mile high. Is, is that right? Sixteen hundred meters above sea level. Yep. And yep. would you would you spend a majority of your training at that point, or do you? at various times in the year, go up to two and a half, three thousand metres on some of your riding and running sessions? Or, and how are you structuring the fact that you have altitude actually where you live and you don't have to travel to Sierra Nevada or to, to somewhere that's got, you know, facilities like uh, we know that the Norwegians do. Um, so do you have periods where you stay at 1,600 metres or, or, or do you have periods where you go down to sea level? How are you structuring that altitude aspect of your training? Boulder has access to um, to these canyons that you can go up and you can get up to, yeah, 2,500, 3,000 metres um, pretty quickly. So often on a long ride, I would hit one of those canyons and um, there is definitely training that you can do where you can spend a few hours higher. And um, there's a famous run as well called uh, Magnolia Road or Mags, um, which is really popular for running. It's, uh, it's, it's probably about 2,000, 2,000. Yeah, about two thousand meters above sea level, and that's another really popular running, running road for for people to uh, to run on. If you head up there, you're always going to see big groups of people running. Um, but in terms of coming down for to sea level for training, I never, I never really schedule that in. Um, I find Boulder actually quite a good that happy medium where you can still really hit that that really hard, intense stuff and, and um, you know, you can heal, still hit that speed work, but you're still also getting that benefit of the altitude at 1,600 metres. So, yeah, I've kind of found it the happy medium and I haven't really found the need to be like, oh, I need a, I need a block at sea level to kind of, you know, really hit that those, uh, those really high, hard sessions. I've found that boulder's perfect for me for that. You would have, of course, adapted your body to that anyway that, you know, People who haven't been at altitude really struggle early on, and then there is an adaptation period. But you've been there that long; your your body thinks that that's normal, probably, and and now you can actually train at an intensity that you want to, um, which most of us who aren't at that level would struggle with, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think I forget about it sometimes mm. because you know, someone, my family member, comes over or something, and they're uh, you know they're struggling to walk upstairs, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's all right. <laughs> I've had that exact experience. Um, I actually went to Colorado once and uh, the day I got there, I just was randomly kicking a soccer ball with someone and I was out of breath <laughs> straight away. And you go, what mm-hmm. is going on? And you actually forget. Um, do you, yep. we, we've actually had Tim Burkle on the podcast and we know that he lives uh, down here now. And so do you have any other training partners there now? Or do you train in a group or is it all solo training? I do a lot by myself, but I do definitely have people and friends that I um I can reach out to and train with. I've got a couple of guys that swim at the same pool as me. So yeah, we might flick each other and text and be like, oh, yeah, I am swimming today at one. You want to join? Um it's kind of a little bit more um impromptu. That's not huge structured sessions that I do. Um I do I do, do a lot by myself. Um, which I it's kind of by choice really. I'm not forced to do it by myself. I just like it. I like being in my own zone and um yeah. 
I don't, I don't have any issue going out and getting the work done, but I do also have people there. If I've got a long, a longer ride or something or an easy ride, generally it's the, it's the harder training that I like doing by myself because I just get in my own zone. But if I'm going out for a couple of hours, easy or something, I like to reach out to a friend. Um, and yeah, just, uh, have a bit of a yarn, but, uh, but yeah, if I, if I don't have anyone, then I'm fine to go out solo as well. So you've given us a great insight into the training side of your life. And, uh, thanks for giving us so much detail into the types of sessions. Again, we know that everyone will love it. Give us an insight into life outside of training and triathlon for Sam. I mean, yeah. What do you do in your downtime? What do, what do you like doing outside of that, uh, you know, outside of recovery, even because a lot of your time would be spent recovering from training. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I always feel a little bit lame when I get asked this question, but um, <laughs> just the kind of the, the everyday stuff. I like hanging out with my wife, Sarah, and um, yeah, just hanging out. I like, I actually really like craft beer as well. Living in Colorado, it's, a, it's like the craft beer capital of the world. Um, but that's not really something I do year round. It's kind of something <laughs> yeah. I have to say for, uh, for off season or after a hard week of training. Um but, uh, yeah, I really like watching movies, uh, playing video games, things like that, kind of some nerdy stuff there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the average stuff, really. There's nothing uh, kind of nothing too uh, too exciting, I guess. No weird idiosyncrasies <laughs> that some, some athletes have that they do. <laughs> no, not really. I, yeah. yeah, the simple things yeah. I, I like, yeah, hanging out with my wife and my dog and, uh, yeah, going out to eat. I like I like going out to eat. I love coffee. Um, but generally, I don't go out for coffee because I'm a bit of a snob. I feel like I make better coffee at home <laughs> than I do, than I get when I go out. Um, That's a very yeah, Australianism, love, uh, isn't it? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And look, just on that with – with uh is there anything you've done differently with your nutrition uh that's that's helped you that that might be useful for the for the listeners to hear that you know have, you know have, have you got a nice balanced nutrition plan that's that's to do with general eating and with your training um and is it something you've had to really work hard at uh working out what works for you i eat a fairly uh i don't subscribe to any diets or anything like that i wouldn't um yeah, I don't fall into any of those categories. I just try and eat pretty healthy. I eat generally whole foods when I can, um, you know, try and stay away from kind of the packages and the artificial stuff and all that. Um, but, I mean, I think over the years I've just honed in on what works for me and what my body likes. Um, I probably – I wouldn't say that I'm um, – yeah, I mean – I don't fall into any of those categories, but I probably split, um, you know, maybe a one third protein, one third fats, one third um, carbohydrates kind of kind of deal. If I had to kind of break it up like that, um, yeah. And it's just I generally eat what I what looks good, and uh, I mean there is times where I have to say no to ice cream or something. I do really like ice cream. I'm a bit of a sweet tooth in that respect, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I usually have to try and save that after a hard day or after a race or something. But um, yeah, in terms of nutrition, I try not to complicate it too much. I just uh, eat whole foods. I eat relatively naturally, and um, yeah, that seems to seems to work for me. What about training days uh, prior to a key session? Again, like you said, key session doesn't have to be a really hard session. But uh, what are you having in the morning and before before training? And then what do you what do you go to straight after? If it's a shortish session that doesn't require it, like it's just an easy um, or an endurance ride or an endurance run, 
often I'll do it fasted. I'll just wake up, have a coffee and head out the door. Um, but if it's a longer session, kind of anything over two hours, or if it has intervals in it or something that requires me to, to kind of get the power or the pace up, I'd, I'd eat, um, something generally I have like a bowl of porridge or something with, uh, some yogurt, granola and berries or something like that. Um, or yeah, or maybe even just some avocado on toast or something. You're getting good fats, you're getting good carbohydrates there. And, uh, and things like that. But yeah, I try not to complicate it either. I've found what I can tolerate before a session. And um, fortunately, I've got a pretty good stomach. I don't, I don't get too upset with, um, you know, I could eat a bowl of yogurt and granola and berries and go out and, and ride and start doing efforts 30 minutes later. And that seems to sit fine with me. But I know other people can be different, might have, uh, you know, more sensitive guts and things mm-hmm. like that. But, um, but yeah, I'm generally a creature of habit. I eat similar things most days. Um, so that's usually my go-to. It's actually really good because so many athletes give very similar answers and it kind of, you know, we can overcomplicate things really easy, but it does come down to just eating simply and finding what works for you. I mean, last one on nutrition, mm-hmm. uh, what do you do race morning? What works for you um, to make sure that, yeah, you've got no gut issues? So this is a little bit unorthodox probably. I eat, generally I eat like a, um, a muffin or something because it's, quite dense in calories and at 4 a.m. or 3.30 a.m. or whatever time it is, I don't want to get up and uh, eat, you know, eggs on toast or something like that or, or a bowl of porridge. Um, so, yeah, I usually buy a muffin the day before. Um, I think before Geelong it was a um, white chalk raspberry muffin, which uh, actually tasted pretty good at 4 a.m. It hits your sweet um, tooth as well. And- yeah, exactly. And also it's got about 500 calories yeah, yeah. as well, which is um, important, which is good. And it's, you know, a muffin, they're dense, but they don't sit heavy in my stomach. Um, so I could eat it and, uh, and feel fine. And even because before racing, because I've got, you know, a lot of nerves and things, my body isn't really digesting as efficiently as it would be just before training as well. So perhaps something like porridge with with yogurt and berries would sit a little bit heavier before a race. Um, so yeah, I like the old muffin trick. It's uh, caloric and it tastes good at 4am. You've got uh, a really great career um, so far to this date. Um, you know, it's such an impressive uh, um, Palmares that you have. The next two years, five years, where do you see yourself um, in, in triathlon? You're extremely motivated. You're passionate. You're very well organized from what we're hearing. Um, you have some good structure, have good people around you. Where where do you see yourself? So I'd like to take kind of the success that I've had over the 70.3 distance and transition into Ironman and have the same amount of success I want to now. I think this is kind of a turning point for me in focusing on Ironman and Kona and things like that. Um, kind of like how I focused on 70.3 is the last four, five, six years. I now want to take that and focus on Ironman and the Ironman World Championships and uh you know, I think it will take a little bit more. This, um, you know, it's perhaps a little bit more experimental going into Ironman and it, it can take a few more years for people to kind of really dial it in than the 70.3. Um, but that kind of excites me, that new challenge and those new goals. It really excites me and it's really motivating for me. So, yeah, I feel like having this change and having this change of direction is uh, is really exciting. Is there anything that you feel it's under? Yeah, unfinished business in 70.3 that that's really burning 
before that happens? Is is there anything in your mind? Um, I mean, of course, I would have really have loved to um, get on the podium at 70.3 Worlds. That was always my goal for so many years. Um, but, uh, you know, I keep improving and I feel like I keep getting further and further away from that almost. You know, like, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's not – I I try not to set those external goals. Like, oh, oh I'm not going to be, be happy unless I get this position. For me, it's all about internal and how I race and how I perform. And, you know, if I put down my best race and my best race is sixth, then I'm really happy with that. You know what I mean? It's – um. I know that if I race to my ability, the results will take care of itself. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm very internally driven. Um, some of my best races that I've had have come off um, races that I haven't won, you know, and um, mm. some of the races I'm most proud of are races that I haven't won. So, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I would have loved a podium, but in terms of unfinished business, I don't think there's anything there. I've, I've achieved a lot and I'm really, really proud of what I've achieved, so. That's a really great answer, and uh, the, a lot of the people that are, you know that we coach, um, we've been drumming exactly that that um, uh, method of thought process into them, so that you know, be proud of the the way you go about the event rather than the end result. Um, and generally, the end result will take care of it's, itself if you do everything well. Um, and whether that means a, a PB or or a podium. Um, it, it shouldn't matter. It should be the actual journey to get to the end. So it's fantastic that you've actually said that. It's exactly the mm-hmm. message we're trying to get across. My next question Good. on that was going to be, um, what is your proudest race or win? And you said then that some of yours weren't even the ones that you won. So can you give us an example of a race that you're really proud of that yeah, you didn't get the necessary podium finish or win? I feel like I've hashed this story a few times, but um, one that really sticks out for me is 2015, Geelong, actually, I uh, raced um, and got second to to Craig Alexander, and it's. Um, I think that was almost like a, a turning point, like a, a catalyst in my career, where I was like, "Hang on a sec, this is, you know, I can be, I can be good at this uh, at this sport." I think mm-hmm. previously, before that, I was always, you know, I was like, "Oh, I'd be happy with a top five or and this is, you know, Australian domestic races and uh, being able to go toe to toe with Craig. I think we. You know, he only broke away from me in that last six, seven hundred meters of the race to take the win, and I was second. I think about twelve seconds behind or something, and that was kind of a turning point in my career where I really started to believe that I could, I could be good. And um, yeah, and then I think after that race, I went on to win uh, four or five races that year, including a couple of international races. So that was kind of a turning point for me in my career. And then another one that I'm actually really proud of is. Uh, 2018 70.3 Worlds. I was sixth. It was in um, in Port Elizabeth in uh, in South Africa, and I I had a really bad bout of like chronic fatigue throughout the year and the month leading into that race. Um, you know, nothing was going well. Training was terrible. Uh, I almost didn't get on the flight before the race because I just didn't want to go. I thought I was going to be terrible, um, but to come out and race pretty well and get sixth while not being perhaps my most athletically best performance. It was something that I'm actually really proud of that I got on the start line and actually still raced pretty well given the circumstances leading into the race. So yeah, probably those two are are ones that stick out to me. 
Uh, on the opposite side of the coin, are there races that you look back and you're really not proud of and you, they kind of sting a little bit? Um, and how did you get through that? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's pr- probably plenty of uh, races. I think uh, another 70.3 Worlds in uh, Chattanooga, I was fourth in that race. And I actually think I raced quite well, but I was uh, I missed that kind of front little, there was Ben Canute and Javier Gomez off the front of the swim and there's kind of no excuse for me not to be with those guys. And uh, Ben went on to get second, Javier won. And um, I should have been there for sure. And I think I was fourth. Um, and I think that was probably my best uh, opportunity at a podium at the 70.3 World Champs. And yeah, so looking back on that one, it kind of stings. While I still raced well and I'm happy with fourth, I, sometimes I think about oh, what if, what if I... Uh, you know, got out with those guys in the water because I am just as good as a swimmer as those guys. And I've shown that over the last few years, but it was kind of one of those things where I was a little bit complacent. Um, and uh, yeah, so that one stings a little bit, but yeah, oh, I've tried to move on from that. <laughs> you say that you've probably learned and you, you, you've basically never come out of the swim, not with the lead pack now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I grew up swimming, um, yeah. so it's something that comes naturally to me. And I think before that race, I always just did the bare minimum to swim um, because I'm a, I'm a decent swimmer that I can just do the bare minimum. But after that race, it really kind of was a bit of an eye-opener that um, I shouldn't just do the bare minimum. I should actually train my strengths and use them as a weapon rather than just uh, just get kind of rest on my laurels a little bit. Well, Sam, you've given us some uh, unbelievable insights. So we thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, a couple of final questions. Uh, one thing we like to ask is, uh, outside of uh, you know sport and triathlon, what's a life lesson that you've learnt uh, in the last year that you'd like to pass on to others? Ooh, it's a life lesson. I mean, it does, ta- does take people a second sometimes. But. It does. I just think, um, you know, this isn't something I've just learnt in the last year, but. Um, just be good to each other. I think that's uh, something that I really try and embody every single day. And uh, just uh, being a good person, being excellent to uh, to others is something that I try and live and die by. So, Well, we certainly appreciate you being kind to our listeners and giving us, you know, your time, which is uh, you've got to, you know, pretty much a small amount of time with your family there in Port Macquarie and uh, you've got to get on a plane back to to Colorado. So we really appreciate um, every insight you've given and, you know, really delved into your training plan and things you do. And I know the listeners will get a lot out of this. So I really appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always, uh, always a pleasure to, uh, to have a chat. So yeah, thanks. Cheers, Sam. Thanks for jumping on the episode. We'll finish it there. We hope you enjoyed listening. We'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.